So uh, today, let's read our passage and pray for our time in the Word, and then we're going to jump in. I'm going to start um, in Malachi chapter 3, actually, verse 16, the last couple verses of chapter 3, and then uh, chapter 4, which is only six verses. So here we go. Actually, let me set this up just a little bit, because that's what I, I, I just got to do that. We've been talking through this whole book, right? These, the people of Israel have been questioning God. They've been throwing these really hard um, doubting questions at him, and God has been pinging them back and answering them and showing them, speaking what is true, right? Just like we sang. And so now after several cycles of questions and God saying, actually, this is what's true, even though it hurts a little bit to hear the truth, we come to the end of this, this book. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. And in his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as, father, as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Chapter 4. The Lord of heaven's armies says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace, and on that day the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. And on the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Pray with me. Father God, we, we pray that you would speak to us what is true. That just as Wes said at the beginning, as we're trying to answer and wrestle with this question of why are we here? God, the, the, that would cause in us an openness that we would give to you our hearts that you might speak truth, that we might be changed. God, I pray that you would give us a picture in Scripture today of just how big you are and, and how much we can believe in you. And that it would be our belief and our faith in you that would change us, not our actions. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for restoring honor in our lives through his death, burial, and resurrection. We pray all this in his name. Amen. I hate the tension that I feel when I know someone else is right. Right? I mean, can anybody join me in that? Like, there's that, that nervous giggle, right? Like, I hate when deep down inside of me, that little voice starts to creep in and you know, oh man, they're right. Because when they're right, guess what that means about me? I'm wrong. I hate that tension. I'm going to tell a story today that I've never told. Uh, to my parents are here. I don't know how this happens, but my parents and my grandparents are here, and I'm thankful for them. I should have read a thank you card about them too, but I'm going to tell a story. Uh, I'm going to tell a story that I've never told to them because I was ashamed to tell it to them. I was ashamed to tell it to them. And it's, it's, they're going to be like, no big deal, right? But, 
But I was ashamed to tell it to them. That, that voice inside of me was saying, you were wrong. I, uh, I played football in college. I was a, a quarterback at Campbellsville University. And my, my junior year of high school, somewhere around in there, I, I went to all of these quarterback camps. Uh, you're trying to get scouted. You're trying to get, you know, you're trying to get better. All these things. And um, despite my UK blue, which I do support, I am a Boilermaker fan, tried and true. Yeah, it's, thank you, Mom and Dad. It's, they're, they're ready. Uh, <laughs> it's awesome. So, uh, boiler up. Toot, toot. Um, I love Purdue, and uh, Purdue had this really great quarterback right before I was in high school named Drew Brees, who's about to go into the Hall of Fame and all this great stuff. He was, oh. And so I would go, I went to this quarterback camp at Purdue for two years, and the first year that I went, um, it was a three-day camp, and, and here's how it worked. You spent two days, like, in these groups, and you'd do all these drills, and you'd learn, and the coaches would sometimes tell you you're really awful <laughs> and yell and not say nice things about you, and other times they'd encourage you, but you went through two days of just, like, the grind. And on the third day, everybody was working. There was a hundred of us, uh, quarterbacks, all the same age, competing for coaches' attentions. And on the third day, they would pull out the 10 um, best quarterbacks at the camp. So everybody's working to be one out of 10, these 10 out of this hundred. And so uh, it came to the third day, and they gather you up in this, this awesome indoor facility, and everybody's sitting there, and they're like, they're going to call the numbers out of the people that are in this, this group of 10 quarterbacks. And, and so they're calling these names out, and I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting there, and I think I hear them call my name. And so I'm like, I'm confident, right? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I made it. And so I get up, and I go, and I get in this group of 10. And then there was this really funny thing that happened because there was 11. <laughs> there was 11. And so my roommate, who ironically, he was like my roommate at like three of these quarterback camps, just happened by chance. He's from Wisconsin. And he comes up, like we're all scattering to go to our first drill. And he comes up and he's like, bro, I don't think they called you. I don't think they called your number. I'm like, I'm not leaving. I got in the group. Like I made it. I'm pretty sure they called my number, right? But in that moment, like I'm not dumb either. And I'm like, there's 11. And he says, bro, I don't think they called your name. So one drill in, I'm like, I can hang. I got this. Second drill, you start to notice 10 of these quarterbacks are really good. And I'm not as good. And that little voice just keeps growing and growing and growing. Maybe my roommate was right. Maybe my roommate was right. I can remember the very last thing at the end of the day. Grandma was the one who had been sent to West Lafayette to pick me up from camp. And all the parents, like all these people are here, they're excited to see their kids, and everybody in the camp sits down and watches this last group do the last drill. It's like, you know, the, the final test, the countdown, the big moment. And uh, they let me go first. That should have been my first clue. They just, somehow they let me go through the whole day as this odd 11th guy. And I'll never forget, everybody's watching, and I drop back, and I go to make this deep ball throw, right? Everybody's supposed to be impressed, and it is like the worst throw that I've ever made in my life, just this terrible duck. Uh, that's what they call, like, a wobbly pass. And, um, and I knew, right? I knew. And I never told that story to, to my family because I was ashamed. I just let them think that I was in the final group. So there you go. There's the big surprise. Because I hate the tension, I hate the tension of 
feeling or, or knowing that, that someone else is right. And, and the reason that I want you to feel that with me for this moment is because that's a picture of the scene that we're seeing happening here at the end of the book of Malachi. The Israelites, they've doubted God. They've been throwing some really harsh questions at him. They've struggled with what they believe to be true about him. They've struggled with whether or not he's good, just as Stephen described. They've struggled with whether or not God can actually change their life like James was. They've wrestled with this idea of, is God really right? And as he's continued to come back and be patient with them and, and speak hard truths to them, truths like, you're not faithful. You're playing the role of victim instead of, really how much I, instead of realizing how much I've actually given to you. You're complaining about injustices in, in your community despite the fact that, that you're holding everything back for yourself. And in light of all those things, we read about this, this group of Israelites who all of a sudden realize that that still small voice inside of them that's saying, maybe God is right and I am wrong, is true. And so here's the question that I want you and I to wrestle with for the next 20 minutes or so. What do we do when we realize that God is right? What do we do when we realize God is right? Maybe he's right about what you should be doing in, in your life at this current time. Maybe he's right about the fact that you've been running from him from year, for years. Maybe he's right about the fact that, that you're not being faithful to your spouse. I don't know what God is right about, but, but what do you do when you realize that there's that small voice, that tension inside of you that's saying, God's right and you're wrong? The good news of Jesus Christ, right? There's good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ restores your honor. You do not restore your honor. Jesus Christ does. So we've journeyed through this book, and, and, and some of the questions that, that have been posed are, are like, really, God? How have you loved us? Right? They're, they're questioning even God's love. How have we shown contempt for your name? How have we defiled the sacrifices? How do we make you tired or weary you? Where, are, where is the God of justice? What have we said against you? And God faithfully answers all those things. He, he continues to be patient with them, to speak truth. And then look back with me starting in, in verse 16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. Can you, can you picture this little like powwow or this huddle? There's a group of them that are like, they're finally... Uh, vulnerable enough, transparent enough to say, maybe God is right. And God's like, I'm listening. I'm listening. Go on. And in his presence, in the presence of God, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. That's serious. Not only were they transparent, but they said, we're going to remember, we're going to commit to one another to, to restore honor to God. Can you picture the scene? Some of the people were getting it. They realized that they were dishonoring the Lord and, and something had to change. They had fear, but it was a healthy fear of what was next. We're going to talk about that word. The, the word fear here can actually mean to be in awe of or to honor. 
You see, they realized that God was right and they had to do something about it. Some of the people then, on this day, were making a choice to restore honor to God. And all the while, there was another group of people that were still unwilling to remove themselves from the shame of their wrongs and to be restored by God. And the rest of the verses compare what happens to those two groups of people. And so for all of us, the question becomes, which group are we in? We have to ask ourselves the question, what do we do when we're standing in the middle and we realize that God is right? Do do we find ourselves being transparent? Do we find ourselves being willing to to have fear and honor for the Lord? Or or do we find ourselves uh, wanting to live in our shame and not be transparent with the God who knows already? Verse 17 goes on, and, and God begins to talk about this group of people that have remembered to honor the Lord. He says, they will be my people. This group, they they will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Notice that God calls those who restore honor to him his own special treasure, something that he holds dear, right? Like We are treasured when we restore honor to God's name. And so the question becomes, how do we move from from dishonoring God with maybe our whiny faith, our unfaithfulness, our greedy lives? How do we move from that kind of life to, to being somebody that God describes as his own special treasure? How does that happen? Caitlin and I's first ministry was uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. We worked with high school students there. And one of my, uh, I had a lot of favorites, but one of my favorites was a young girl named Nikki. Nikki, if if you can uh, picture awkward teenager, you have pictured Nikki rightly. And I I only say that because if she were here today, she would totally embrace that and just tell you, like, I'm awkward. Um, This is the ultimate sign of being awkward for me. She played the French horn. So... I don't know if there's any French horn players in the house, but it's like the way you have to hold your hand in the bell, like it's just awkward. Um, she was really awkward, and she knew it. Um, and, and to be quite honest, she was kind of ashamed of it. It was like, I know I'm awkward, but I can't really change it. I know I'm not cool, and so I'm just going to be ashamed of being awkward. But what was cool about Nikki was that she loved the Lord, and her parents loved the Lord. And I'll never forget the day that she came to me. She was a junior. She'd been in our ministry for a couple years. And she came to me and she said, hey, I've, I've noticed something at youth group. She said, um, there are other people that are awkward like me. I'm like, yep, there are. She's like, would it be okay if I just awkwardly went over to them and just was awkward with them? It's like, yes, that would be great. And so uh, Nikki, I, like, it was super intentional. She, she literally chose to be awkward to make those who were awkward feel treasured. It was great. Like you could watch it happen. There would be this person standing over by themselves and Nikki would walk up and she would do something incredibly awkward. Like all those awkward turtle handshakes. Like she knew every one of those. She did all those. Like she would walk up and just say things that you're like, what? She was incredibly awkward. And you'd look over and this, this kid who had been standing by themselves, all of a sudden, like this smile would come across their face. 
genuine joy because someone just came over and embraced them in the middle of the awkwardness and called them in and made them feel loved. She called people in and she, she made them feel treasured. And that's what Jesus does for us. I'm really proud of Nikki because as she did that, she realized that, that being awkward wasn't just something that she had to deal with or be ashamed of, but it was, it was actually who God had made her to be and called her to be. And today, Nikki is uh, studying in California, and she has been in three continents, and she is rescuing women out of the sex industry. Going to them, right? At a moment where they have all kinds of shame, and just making them feel loved, and saying, you're more valuable than that. That's what Jesus does for us. So Wes asked the question, why are you here? Why are you here? And I have a feeling that I'm not the only one that has a story that I've never told. I have a feeling that I'm not the only one who has things that I'm ashamed of. And Satan wants nothing more than for us to stay in the middle of that shame. To feel awkward about being in church. To feel awkward about saying, I give my whole life to Jesus. That's where Satan wants us to stay. And Jesus comes and he meets us in the middle of that awkwardness. And he shows us love and he speaks truth and he restores our honor. He restores our honor. Malachi chapter 4 says this, verse 1 and 2. The Lord of heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you, those who fear my name, who honor me, who revere me, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Do you see it? You see, the son of righteousness, it's, it's a reference, it's a prophecy, it's, it's looking forward to Jesus Christ. Jesus, the only man who, because he was also God, lived a perfectly righteous life. He's always right. And so that tension that you hate to feel when you know someone else is right, when we're in the presence of God, we often feel that. And we have a choice. What are we going to do when we realize that he is right? Why do we feel that? Because in his perfection, he, he knew that, that we as humans would forever be marred by sin, that we would be tempted to forever be stuck in the shame of, of what we've done. He knew that we would be unable to, to live with complete faith in God. And despite all of that, he willingly went to die on a cross to pay for our sin and to restore our honor. Do you realize what this means? This means that when we stand in the presence of God, we no longer have to see ourselves as, as this person who is untrue or who is sinful or who is shamed. But we can recognize that God sees us as honorable children of the one true king. That's incredible that he restores our honor in such a way. And it brings us great joy. But notice too that it says the son of righteousness will, will rise. And that's just what Jesus did because three days after his death on the cross, he rose to live a new life. 
And when he did, he rose with, what's it say? Healing in his wings. I love this visual of Jesus rising as the sun rises. Take yourself for a moment. I mean, it's 70 degrees in February, so like it's not too hard to get there, but take yourself to a moment where you've seen the sunrise. Maybe you're sitting on your porch, or better yet, you're sitting on the beach. Let's go to the beach. I'm ready. You're sitting on the beach, and you see the sunrise, and and when you see that sunrise, it also brings about the warmth of the day. And that's the picture that God wants to paint in our lives of when Jesus begins to shine in and through us. Malachi is letting the Israelites know that when Jesus comes, they're not going to have to wonder about what is right anymore. They're going to know. They're going to look at the Son, the Son of God, and they're going to know what is right. He's letting them know that that. When what is right is, is known, that it's going to bring healing, that the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ will, will point them in the right direction. But what does that mean for us? Because after all, Jesus can shine in and through our lives too. You see, at first, Jesus is just shining in us. He's showing you what you could be. He's giving you glimpses of who you are and reminding you of your value as a, as a human being created in God's image. And maybe for the first time when you come into contact with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you get a glimpse of what your life could be. Maybe like James, you're struggling to see it. But in a moment where you encounter Christ, you get a glimpse of what life could be if you will allow him to to make it right by his truth and not by your desires. For just a moment. You get a glimpse of what life could be like if you would abandon your addictions. For just a moment, you get a glimpse of what life could be if if your relationships that are broken in your life would be restored. For for just a moment, you get a glimpse of how your life might change if the priority in your life moved from from the projects or the things that you wanted to do to the people that God is bringing into your path. And as you catch a glimpse of what your life could be, walking in the truth of Jesus Christ, you have to answer that question. What if he's right? What am I going to do now that I realize that God is right about me? If you'll choose to place your faith and your trust in him, then he begins to shine through you. And when Jesus begins to shine through you, it's difficult at first. Because when he shines through you, the wounds are exposed. The areas of sin are revealed. But as you continue to submit to him in that process, Jesus begins to heal those wounds in ways that, that bring honor to his name. And in those moments, your wounds are healed and Jesus restores your honor. Your honor. And your identity then becomes not what hurts you, but rather who has healed you. Jesus restores our honor so that honor restores our joy. But what does joy look like? What does joy look like? I love that Malachi painted a picture of joy by describing calves leaping in a pasture. Uh, I grew up on the farm, so we're just we're going full ag mode today, all right? So cattle, here we come. Uh, quick, quick lesson, uh, biology lesson on cattle, all right? Um, female cattle, if they've already had a baby, they're called a, anybody know? Cow, right? Good. Uh, female cow who has not had a baby, anybody know? Heifer, great. Great, good. This is going to make this illustration so much better if you understand that. That's important. Cow had a baby. Old. 
Here I go. I got that old word going again. I'm in trouble. Last week, I had Dr. Minahan up here. And I said, Dr. Minahan, how old are you? He said, I'm 69. And I said, see what it looks like if you, know, you continue to be faithful. And then somebody told me, okay, caught me later. And she's like, don't you ever make 69 sound old again. <laughs> Man. All right, so here I go. I got the old word out. I'm in trouble already. But we got old cows and young heifers. All right. Whew. All right. So Malachi paints this picture of joy by describing calves leaping in a pasture. And what that meant for me as a, a preacher is that I wasted about half hour uh, this week looking for videos of calves being let out to their pastures on YouTube. <laughs> really good sermon prep, let me tell you. So I found this one guy. Um, I mean, some people are just awkward, right? Apparently this guy has a thing, and he's got a big cattle operation, and he's got like 10 videos of letting his cows out to pasture on YouTube. I, it's a thing. So, so I start watching these, because I'm, I'm awkward too, I guess. I don't know. And so the first one I watch is this old group of cows. They'd been out to pasture before, right? They knew what, what pasture looked like. And... And so he's standing in front of this gate, and he's got this video camera, and he's like breathing heavy, and he's like, all right, I'm getting ready to let the cows out to the pasture first time this spring. And like the cows are like doing circles, like they're antsy, like getting, like they're ready. They know what's coming, right? And he's like, I'm going to open this gate, and I'm going to try to run backwards and not get run over. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So, so he swings the gate open, and like the camera's bouncing, and like cows are coming at him. I'm like, this is crazy. And like, you watch the cows all run out to the pasture. Video's over in like 58 seconds. I'm like, that is awesome. God, what a great picture of joy. Then I go down to the related links, and it's like heifers, first time out to pasture. And the video's like seven minutes and 30 seconds long. I gotta watch it. Like, <laughs> I gotta watch it. So I, I turn it on, and he's like, he's standing by the gate, and there's all these heifers, and they're just kind of like standing there. He's like, these are heifers, letting them out the pasture first time. He swings open the gate, backs up, nothing. <laughs> these heifers are just standing there, and like one at a time, like they'll inch up to the grass. Smell it, step out on it, and walk into it a little ways. And most of them at some point end up like doing that little cute animal bounce, you know, off into the sunset. But it takes this group of heifers like seven minutes. I didn't watch it all, okay? <laughs> it takes them like seven minutes to get out to the pasture. So I'm thinking about that picture of joy thinking about that picture of joy, and I'm thinking about what does that mean for us? Let me speak to those of you who have already placed your faith in Jesus Christ today for just, just a minute, and then I'm going to come back to those of you that are still wrestling with what you believe to be true about God, whether or not He's right or you're right. If you believe that God is right and you've placed your faith in Jesus, let me tell you today, you got to be more like them old cows. You got to be like those old cows because those old cows remembered the beauty of the pasture. They remembered how much better fresh grass tasted than baled hay. 
they remembered the way to their favorite shade trees, and they remembered what it was to, to feel the freedom of being sent out to pasture in the spring. And as Christians, we must remember, we must remember often, in fact, daily, the great joy that came when we realized for the very first time that Jesus had restored our honor, that we didn't have to be bound by our shame and our sin anymore. We must remember that moment. See, Jesus saves our souls and he moves us from focusing on our sin to focusing on the hope that we have in Jesus. He moves us from the barn to the pasture. We must remember the joy that, that we found in those seasons of being in Scripture with our brothers and sisters consistently. We must remember the joy of being sent out to invite our friends and our neighbors to taste and see that the Lord is good. We must be ready to bound out of the gate with joy because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Don't hesitate to take risks. In fact, that's called faith because you are confident that the next life that Jesus has given to you is far better than the one that you have in this world. Get out to pasture and live in the joy and the freedom and the hope of Christ by loving Him and by loving His people more each day. And in fact, this is the very command that God gave to the Israelites through the prophet Malachi. Look at, with me at, at Malachi 4.4. 4. He says, Remember, Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and the regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Remember. Remember to love God and to love people. Remember that he loved you first. Remember that he loved you first. You see, we too often get in the mindset that it's our honor for God that, that starts the chain of events that lead to having eternal life. And this is the bridge between the cows and the heifers, right? For If you want to stick with the analogy. We fall into this idea that if I make a decision to follow Jesus, then I'm good. We fall into this idea that if I finally get up the courage to go be baptized or to go pray with someone else, then I'm good. And we believe that our journey with God starts when we say so. And it's just not true. Psalm 14.7, I'm going back in the slides. I'm sorry, I jumped all over today. Psalm 14.7 says, When the Lord restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Notice that, that God restores us before the joy comes. It was God who started it by sending Jesus to restore your honor. 1 John 4.10, not that we love God, but that he loved us first. All of the things in your life that are dishonorable, all the things that bring you guilt and shame, Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose with healing in his wings to set you free from those things. He's simply waiting on you to take the next step. Just like a calf stepping out to pasture for the first time, to experience the true joy that comes from honoring the Lord who saves you. I want to talk to the young heifers for just a minute, but before I do, I want to invite some old cows back up to the stage. Come on, band. That's right. Welcome to Christ Community. Old cows. Who said faith isn't fun? All right, you young heifers. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. Those of you who have never been able to pull the trigger on trusting in Jesus. You may have been in church for years, but you've never actually trusted him. What I mean by that is those of you who are just a little unsure about how someone dying on a cross can bring joy to your life, that might make you a heifer. What I mean by that is, is somebody who has never placed their faith in him. 
somebody who's really wrestling with how to answer the question of why am I here? Here's what, here's what Jesus says to you today. Know that, that your faith in Christ is just one conversation away, one prayer away. And that that faith in Christ sets you out into a pasture of freedom. A pasture of freedom that will be like no other. Is it scary? Sure. You're going to want to inch up to it. Feel it out. Are you going to step into it slowly? Absolutely. But it is worth it. The final verses of Malachi, they, they look forward, they prophesy, they foretell about a man that these folks will never meet, a name that they will never know in their lifetime, a man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came and he told the world that there was one far greater than himself coming, one who would have healing in his wings. And so I'm going to close today by reading his story to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 18. And when I finish that, the band's going to sing, Stephen's going to introduce our time of response. But if you've never stepped into the pasture of freedom that God gives you through His Son, Jesus Christ, you have a couple of ways that you can respond to that. You can come into the back and you can pray with us. We're going to be back there. We want to pray with you the simple prayer that that says, God, I realize that you're right and I'm not. And I want to place my faith in the fact that you will restore my honor, not me. No good work that I do. But you can also pray that prayer right where you are. If that's you and you're still unsure about this whole like people thing, you're awkward like Nikki, have a conversation with God and say, God, I know you're right, and I'm not even sure what to do next, but I put my faith in you. You can put that on your communication card when you turn it in, and we'll have a conversation later this week. I'll come be awkward with you. Here's the story of John the Baptist, foreteller of Jesus Christ. John 1, chapter, six, John chapter 1, verse 6 says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light, the light that shines in us and through us, that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, you see. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, the one who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He restored our honor. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes only from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. That's our Savior. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one! This is the one who's done it! I was talking about, this is the one I was talking about when I said that someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And from his abundance... 
we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and the faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. Praise God that we can know God and that he can be made known to us because of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He is right and he is good and he is truth. He is honorable and he is all of those things so that he can make you right and he can restore honor in your life. So I leave you with the question that I started with. What will you do today when you realize that God is right about who you are? What will you do? Have faith in Jesus Christ.